Here we go. Podcast number eight, coming up. everybody doing today? Nelson Montana here for Protein Factory, and uh, we got a real good podcast coming up right now. We have a little bit for a little bit for everybody. Um, we I understand that there are a lot of people out there. You know, you have some of the uh, customers and the fans and the clients and the audience, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they are into different things. You have some people who are just into fitness. You have some people who want to really learn the best techniques of training. You have guys who want to. Guys and, and women who want to learn more about uh, the use of performance enhancement. And um, then there are some people who are kind of fans of the, uh, the sport of bodybuilding. So we're going to touch a little bit on each of these topics. One thing I'd like to bring up is um, there's a lot of talk about combining nutrients. You hear things like after a workout is when you should take in simple sugars or high glycemic sugars because that shuttles nutrients into the muscles when the muscles are essentially deprived and um, glycogen levels are low. So that fills the muscles up and that therefore improves muscularity or improves the size of muscle or whatever the theory might be. I, I gotta tell you my basic philosophy on food combining. I, I think it makes such a slight difference that it isn't even worth stressing over it. Seriously. You talk about taking in sugar or taking in glucose at the end of a workout. How does the body know when the workout is over? How does it know you're not walking home? How, maybe that's part of it. Maybe you're on a treadmill. It, how do, it doesn't matter. What you do from hour to hour is essentially irrelevant because the body is a, a very efficient mechanism. It will utilize nutrients as it's needed. Now, I have said in the past that it is good to take in protein steadily throughout the day. And the reason for that is as protein passes through the intestines, the villi will pretty much grab it along the way. So it's a catch-as-catch-can process. So you want to have protein. If you, if you really want to build muscle, especially if you're in a bulking stage and you don't want to be gaining fat, you want to be gaining mostly muscle, then you have to have protein in the system all the time. But as far as the, the timing or the um, even the balancing, again, this is something I think that is overstated. Um, one of the things about being a vegetarian is a lot of plant-based proteins aren't complete proteins, and the body can only absorb complete proteins. If you have a uh, isolated amino acid without any other amino acids available, it'll pretty much just pass through the body for the most part. So you want to have, that's why vegetarians have to combine, you know, various plant protein foods. Getting that amino acid ratio where all the essential amino acids, acids are present. And that takes a lot of planning. Um, however, there's almost, oh, if you're eating protein, there's almost always going to be some of those amino acids available. In other words, if you have eggs for breakfast, you know, by the time it's lunch, it, it's not like, oh, I only had a partial... Um, protein food, so it's not going to be digested. No, it will still mix with the protein in your body. So this is kind of a verbose way of saying you don't have to worry too much about um, mixing nutrients and food combining and nutrient partitioning. I, I, I think that's not really something that is going to make 
a great deal of difference in the long run, as long as you're reasonable, as long as you don't go too long or you just, like, you don't eat Twinkies on an empty stomach. I, if you're a bodybuilder, I presume, you're not going to be doing anything that ridiculous. So that's my take on food combining and nutrient timing. Okay, next topic. Get a lot of questions about steroids, and I wanted to bring something up that seems to be a big misnomer uh, among a lot of guys, and that is the release time of certain steroids. Well, we'll just talk about testosterone for now. I've, I've said in the past, most steroids are based on the testosterone molecule. Most steroids do what testosterone does. There are so many people that think, they, oh, they have to try this combination, or they, they want to know what this drug does or that drug does. And they pretty much all do what testosterone does. Testosterone increases the male characteristics, which is muscularity, strength, muscle hardness, uh, libido, drive, aggression. And uh, it also is anabolic, which means it allows for muscle growth. It increases both of those characteristics, which is what all steroids do to various degrees. Now, I'm going to use the drug Sustanon as an example because Sustanon is, is very interesting. It's what Dan Duchesne called a very elegant drug in that it combines four testosterones. Actually, testosterone is testosterone. It's really the ester that makes the difference. And the ester is what allows it to be released into the system. Some esters are slow, others are fast. And the concept with Sustanon is that it would have testosterone being released at four different stages. Uh, there's appropriate, which means it just it's immediately in your system, within literally seconds. And then other esters along the way, so you have it lasting a week, and then there's, a, I forget which one it is now, not an NFA. It doesn't matter. There's one that lasts for like two weeks. It's really so slowly, but it will last for that length of time. And it seems like a great idea because you're getting this full range of release. But if you think about it, it's, it's really kind of pointless because if you're taking testosterone, whether it's hormone replacement or as a steroid cycle, you're going to be taking it regularly. So what's the difference between having all these different esters releasing at different times or just taking one shot a week? And then you always, it, it, if you're using enanthate or cypionate, which is the typical uh, testosterone ester for hormone replacement, it's in your system for about 10 days. So if you're taking it once a week, you're going to have a steady amount of testosterone present pretty much. I mean, there's a slight peak after a day, a slight dip after maybe seven days, but it's not going to make a difference. It's not something you're going to feel or, or see or, or notice in any way. So this is the kind of thing a lot of guys get caught up on. You'll also hear people talking about kickstarting a cycle. Oh, I want something in my system immediately. Well, if it's in your system immediately, how much faster are you going to start <laughs> making gains? I mean, it, it really is not uh, that much of a difference. Uh, now, you could take an oral steroid, which does work very quickly, and that will give you, I guess, a little strength right off the bat. So if you can't wait until <laughs> a few days and you want to be as strong, stronger immediately, okay, taking uh, some Dynaball might do that. But uh, again, this is really splitting hairs, and it goes to show how people get more into this, the minutia of this stuff 
as opposed to looking at the big game plan. The big game plan is you want to use this to become more muscular, to, to have a better body. And that is really more a matter of lifestyle, training, nutrition, supplementation. That's what makes the difference. The drugs are a little bit of an aid, but people tend to look at it like, oh, the drugs are the main factor. And the reason they look at it that way is because, yeah, you could be kind of a lousy bodybuilder and just take a ton of gear and you'll make some progress, but it will be at the expense of your health. Now, it is my personal opinion, I think that steroids, the risk-to-benefit ratio of steroids are, is actually very good. They are quite beneficial and not particularly harmful in reasonable dosages. That's the difference. Some drugs are really great, but no, every drug has side effects. And, and any drug, if it's abused, or used in too high a dosages, or used for too long, will cause damage to your health. That's just the way it is. That's just a plain and simple factor. And that goes for steroids too. But in reasonable dosages, I do think they can actually improve health. But they're not legal, so I'm not telling you to do it. Okay, a little bit of bodybuilding history. And this is a first-hand account. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because I, I've come to realize later in life that this is pretty historic. I was at the 1969 Mr. Olympia contest between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sergio Oliva. Uh, yes, I am that old. I can't believe I'm that old. I, I, mean, I was a child. I was literally just a kid. That's how uh, long I've been into this. But... Um, there was just a few hundred people there, and uh, I, I wonder how many others are still alive <laughs> who, who were there to witness this. This was uh, Arnold's first appearance in New York. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm hearing a lot of chat on YouTube between a lot of famous competitors speculating about the 1969 contest, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, well I was there. <laughs> and um, what they did back then is they didn't have a lot of Contestants for the Olympia. I think the prize money was maybe a thousand bucks for first prize. That's it. All right, thousand bucks back then is maybe uh, eight thousand dollars now. So to somebody like uh, Sergio or Arnold at the time, that, that was a lot of money. But um, they used to have a whole night of entertainment. It would have uh, arm wrestling, and they'd have a little beauty contest. Have the girls come out in the bikini, and they had the Mr. Universe contest. And Arnold Schwarzenegger entered the Mr. Universe contest and just blew everybody away. Uh, he wasn't tan, and I remember he didn't even have any oil on. And then came the Olympia. And then Arnold was oiled up, and he came out, and the crowd's going crazy. Um, I want to bring something up that a lot of people don't realize. People think that Arnold was the bad guy, that Sergio was very, very popular, but Arnold was sort of the, the villain. But that's not at all true. Arnold was really being built up in the magazines at the time. That whole persona uh, of him being, you know, that arrogant prick <laughs> um, was from Pumping Iron. And it was all an act. Because, uh, a little side note here, when they were making Pumping Iron, it was Arnold who realized pretty early on that this is going to get boring just watching guys train. Uh, so he decided he wanted to create a character. 
And instead of being going up against Lou Ferrigno, he saw that Lou Ferrigno was not, even though he was big, he wasn't imposing in terms of his personality. And Arnold had personality. So Arnold decided, I'll be the villain. And that's what he did. And it worked perfectly. But uh, prior to Pumping Iron, we're talking 1969, he was just this kid from Austria. So anyway, so he comes out for the Olympia, and the place is going crazy. And then Sergio Oliva stepped out on stage. And he didn't even pose. It was like seeing a creature from another planet. He was unbelievable. No human being on Earth looked like that. It was just astounding. And it's interesting, you try to explain this to, to a younger person because, you know, we see mass monsters all the time. You go in the magazine, you just flip a magazine. There are guys who, you know, just got their pro card who would just blow away anybody from the 60s and 70s. I mean, the improvement is just that great at this point. But back then, people didn't look like that. But most people didn't even work out. If you worked out with weights, you stood out. Wow, who's that guy? Yeah, look at some of the uh, muscle stars from back then. You know, Johnny Weissmo, who played Tarzan in the movies, or uh, you know, on TV in the seventies, there was a Tarzan show. Ron Eli, I believe, was the actor, and you know he was fit, but that was a muscle star. That's what a muscle star was considered. So to see somebody that looked like Sergio was just absolutely astonishing. And it's interesting because uh, something a lot of people don't know is after Sergio won, Dan Laurie, who was a, another promoter, jumped up on stage to show an ad where Sergio was using his protein powder. <laughs> and there was this big hubbub going on, and that's when my parents came into the theater and said, let's get out of here, they're sick of waiting for me. And um, took me home and, and stopped me from seeing an historic moment. But uh, it, it's, it was pretty cool, and um, it, yeah, just a little bit of the, uh, you know, the history of the sport, where people just went crazy. They just went crazy for these guys, because they were nowhere to be seen. And they looked inhuman. They just did not look like normal people. They looked like the, the vision that we all had in our mind as to what we wanted to look like. Although I don't think I wanted to look like Sergio. It was just that freaky. <laughs> uh, Frank Zane was my guy. And uh, it's a good thing because I'm kind of on the thin side. I have pretty good aesthetics, but I'm certainly not a, a mass monster. And I'm certainly not super muscular. That's just not my genetics, which is fine. But uh, to see these guys, it was just uh, awe-inspiring and um, made me want to just train harder. Okay, well, speaking of training, I have um, a little insight, uh, hopefully, to uh, working biceps. It's the, you know, the number one beach muscle group, as they call it. Um, what is the best way to train biceps? How do you train them to the fullest? And, you know, you see all these machines and all these exercises and all these angles. And here's my take on it. And this is speaking from experience because I don't have good biceps. I never really did. I never really seemed to get a pump in my biceps. I think part of the reason for that is um, I have pretty strong forearms. I have naturally good forearms. And whenever I would do a curl, my forearms would take on the stress. 
So my biceps never really got worked very well. I, I believe I mentioned in an earlier podcast, if you look at Arnold's arm, who had amazing biceps, he did not have great forearms. So maybe his forearms were weak, so his biceps wound up taking the stress. This is the way genetics works. Everybody's going to be a little bit different and respond to different exercises. But the main thing about bicep training that I think is a little bit of a, uh, a myth, or let's say it's a, it's a bit of an eye-opener, is the popular movement of working on a, the preacher bench, I think, is not a particularly effective exercise. Because if you think about it, if your arm is flattened out, as you come up, once you start getting closer to perpendicular, and once essentially your, your hand holding the weight is straight up, there's not a lot of resistance at that point. You, you kind of, you're not going against gravity. Now, I know Larry Scott, people who might remember him, who had amazing arms, said he loved that exercise. But there's another guy who uh, had genetically gifted arms. He could do jumping jacks. The guy would have 20-inch arms. So what, the answer seems to be having the arm straight down if you're going to position. In other words, you know how the opposite side of a preacher bench is flat? If you go against that, now your arm is directly down, and as you come up, you'll always be going against gravity, putting more direct stress on the biceps. Now, the problem with that exercise is it's difficult to go heavy. It's just something about that angle. It seems like, oh, yeah, I can really contract the bicep to its fullest, and I'm using gravity the entire range of motion, but it does not allow for a lot of weight, and you need to have a certain amount of weight in order to stress the bicep. So the exercise that I prefer is on a seated incline bench where you're leaning back and your arms are back. So if you're on an incline bench and you have your arms straight down, they're actually sort of behind you somewhat, and as you lift up, the stress is consistent through the entire motion. If you don't cheat, if you stay, you could actually even swing a little bit, but you're still going against gravity. And I find that to be a really um, efficient way of working the biceps. And another uh, um, alternative to that is to use cables, which is kind of interesting. If you want to be obnoxious and take up the, <laughs> the, uh, the cable rack and uh, place a bench in there on an incline, you sit there and you grab the cable from each side and do your curls that way. It takes a little bit more control because obviously cables um, have some leeway to them, but that also works the biceps really well. So I would suggest doing that. Just do that one exercise, either incline, um, curls on an incline bench, or curls with cables on an incline bench, and see how it goes. See how sore you get. All right, that's um, that went quickly. Okay, that pretty much covers the topics for today. Uh, we want to invite everybody to check out the TikTok videos. That's at Nelson Montana 53 on TikTok, and we do a podcast here every week. And we also want to um, remind you to download my book, The Bodybuilding Truth, Secrets You're Not Supposed to Know. Absolutely free. No charge. Just click on that, and you get that for free. And check out the site, Best Protein at the Best Prices, and Unleashed is available here. Nowhere else. I think you can get it on Amazon, actually. But it's right here. It's a Protein Factory original. And if you put the word Nelson 
in the promotion code an extra 10% off. So that's a pretty good deal anyway you slice it. Okay, until next time, I'm Nelson Montana. See you at the gym.